pep, pep, bla, 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 bla. Hello, and welcome to See One, Do One, Teach One, the podcast dedicated to becoming a better medical educator. With me, Pick Mukherjee. And Tom Pereira. Today we have two guests, and Pick shows us what he really looks up on the internet. So on this podcast, we talk a lot about thought processes and the practice of emergency medicine. And I try to find analogies that work really well for what we do. And in this day and age, it's become less and less important to have the facts at your in your brain because they're at your fingertips. So I am thinking emergency medicine is, is like playing chess. Pick, you were telling me this morning about one of your kids who plays chess who now has a new teacher. So my kid is seven and now beats me four out of five times uh, and I got to pay attention. So he's getting much better and his new teacher gave a little, hey parents, this is my philosophy thing. And he said a few things. I think a lot of people want to say that any high level thinking endeavor is like a game of chess, right? It implies like some kind of like a strategy and smart people do it kind of thing. But he said a couple of things that I hadn't heard before. And the first thing he said was that chess isn't like other endeavors like math because it's not sequential. In math, you have to learn addition before you can grasp multiplication. You have to grasp some basics about geometry before you can move on to algebra, algebra before calculus. And if you skip, it doesn't make sense. But chess isn't like that. It's not sequential. You can learn openings and end games and not focus on the mid game. You can learn tactics before strategy. And whatever you learn, the more of it you do, the more the game as a whole gets better, even if you have gaps. I like that a lot because I was thinking about the description of learning emergency medicine, which typically is you have this sort of outline of what you need. You just sort of keep filling in the pieces and it doesn't have to be sequential. Each time you see a low back pain, you may get another piece of the puzzle, but it, it really doesn't have to be sequential. Oh, and I think that even not just EM, but medicine was told to me as a picture the whole of what you need to know as a map of the U.S. And, and occasionally you'll visit a place you haven't been before, uh, and now uh, you will have some insight into what Iowa is really like. And every case you see is going to fill in that map, and you will never visit every city in the United States. But your ability to navigate California Highway is going to be way better uh, within one year of residence. So let's take the highway part, right? So if you learn to drive a, a small road in Vermont, are you better able to drive on every road? So there is a lot of medicine within a specific diagnosis that gives you the skills to practice the broader field, and you just get better at it. And the, the thing about that also that I like was the idea that if you got good at something, of course you should have a well-rounded game and pay attention to other things. But if you are very good at something, this coach was encouraging improvement even in that thing. So someone who had an excellent end game in, for this coach uh, wouldn't be told, okay, you got that. You really got to work on that mid-game process. He might be told, yes, do that, but you could be even better at end game. Getting better at this will elevate your whole game. It's almost like when we have someone who is good enough at EKGs, and then we say, you got that, let's work on something else, when maybe we could go, you like this, you got this, Like, let's keep going. You've said this before. I remember you talking about how encouraging expertise in a single thing in emergency medicine 
helps with the whole game, but just being an expert in something and having that feeling and how they got to be an expert is part of the learning process. And it links all of your knowledge better, right? A, a fact is useless. Knowledge is when you hang a fact in a matrix of other facts, uh, and expertise is like seeing when you push this thing, that thing moves. And getting really good at something just, just makes the links easier across the board. So this is the idea that I've said for 100 years. Every single case in emergency medicine has something we can learn. If you keep with that philosophy, then you're not just learning about this specific disease, you're just learning emergency medicine better. And I think the idea that, oh, I've seen a billion coughs uh, and things, is uh, you can get better at coughs. All right, uh, so what else did your this new coach put in there? So the other thing he said that I never had thought about was that 20 years ago, there were like not even 200 high-level grandmasters playing chess, and now there's 10 times that at even higher ratings. Uh, 20 years ago, there was a handful of top-level poker players, and now there's like, it seems like everybody plays poker everywhere, and what changed? Uh, and what changed was how people learned and how they got exposed to experiences that make you a better player, right? The internet, online gaming, right? The, num the number of games you can play in both chess and poker at home, uh, and the amount of years of experience it would take to get that in Vegas, you can now get in like a month uh, just by doing it like at midnight. So I see a pretty direct correlation here in one, in all of the educational websites and opportunities that are available when you and I had those 100 pound things called books. And I think that it allows a learner to have a very different experience. So we always say we learn best by doing. And a lot of the things online give you a visual that now goes with the words, gives you an audio that goes with the words. I haven't yet found one that gives me the smell of emergency medicine, but just having all of that available to us allows the different types of alert all the learners to learn better. We're going to propose a new publication, Scratch and Sniff Emergency Medicine, Melano. Is it really? So the other thing about the idea that the internet fundamentally changes the rate at which you can accumulate experience and seek out the information you need is that there's a lot of good educational theory that is supported by uh, this kind of learning that traditional textbooks lack. And that's stuff like uh, interleaving and spaced repetition and all that linkage stuff that I, I love when you hang your uh, fact in a, in a matrix of knowledge. You can jump from the EKG changes of this electrolyte problem to sodium channel blockade to toxicology back to therapy and pharmacology in the time it takes you to think of it. Uh, the rabbit hole of, of online learning in emergency medicine is a good thing. I also like that in the, in the quote itself it just talked about learning being experiential and the idea of these chess players are getting better because they're able to play more games. And as an idea for emergency medicine, that's really what simulation has taken on. If you never saw a patient with a given disease, because there are only a few of them out there, simulation allows you to run through that process in a way that we never had before. And so, yes, I, I think that uh, you can make this analogy a lot of ways, but, but ultimately what it means is the things that trainees have available to them, the ways in which they can access information and gain experience, is like fundamentally different than what I might have had. And that means they're getting better faster, right? Uh, we have this breadth of EM, we got to do all this stuff more, uh, and our mandate is widening every day. But actually the, the format to get that expertise is there. 
So do you think that there are more grandmasters of emergency medicine out there? How good are our trainees now at ultrasound compared to you? All right, done. You got me. <laughs> and, and just fill in whatever the thing is. How good are they at EKGs compared to what you were at their level? How good are they at X and Y? They are doing like nine things we didn't even do that were invented. There were no ECMO programs when, when you were coming up. I hear what you're saying. And what was the, the last part of his quote? So the third thing. All right. The, uh, the classroom uh, is the preparation uh, and the tournament is the application. So that I feel like is every time we talk about simulation and train how you fight. The thing that was interesting about this was that the classroom being preparation meant that the preparation, the rehearsal, which I thought was a better term, had to be as close as possible to the tournament. So there's no classroom prep time that you don't like use a clock or it's not touch rules or it's not like as close to the actual game time as possible. So they very carefully delineate rehearsal time as the exact same as game time and then off cycle time. This is like tactics and like uh, do this workbook problem. And I thought that was really good, a good distinction to make. Does that mean that you can't break down part of the education into smaller pieces and just do the piece? Or does that mean, what does that mean? So that, that means that whatever piece you're rehearsing has to be as close as possible to what you'll actually be doing. So you can break it down. In fact, we talk about it in procedures all the time, the micro skills of a procedure. Uh, it's not helpful in deliberate practice uh, to just do the whole thing over again. It's more helpful to focus on a certain piece that you need work on and do that bit of it. But that bit of it is got to be as close to game time as possible. Okay, so state-based learning. Like you're supposed to learn under the same conditions that you're going to take the test. Although this a lot of this relates to sim and how high-fidelity sim might be better than low-fidelity sim, doesn't it really tell us that in-situ sim is probably the best way to train? I, that 100% that's what it tells you. And uh, one of the quotes from one of the sim gurus, I think, uh, that I would say, uh, Vic Brazel, uh, says something like, the goal of sim centers is to get sim training so ingrained that everything starts moving towards into in situ sim, and then all sim centers do is work in your place of work instead of having a separate center. Okay, I think those three quotes were great about chess. It is interesting to me that we so want to be compared to chess. So what is it inherently about chess and the thinking required for chess, which, which makes emergency physicians want that moniker? So I think it's just that chess players are smart and everybody knows it and we want to be smart because we have giant egos, but... But I, uh, I sort of think that what we're dealing with is if you think about what chess really is and what separates the reactive player from the, from the skilled or master player is really thinking ahead. The grandmasters are supposed to think, you know, 10, 20 moves ahead in chess, and that's why they always win. So that I have to agree with. Chess is definitely about planning ahead, and the deeper into the game you see, the less surprises there are for you, and you don't move three pieces in a row, three moves in a row, and then are startled by the position you find yourself in. That's the, that's the amateur player. But don't you think that's also where an intern is? That they send every test in the book and are startled by the results so, uh, and have to deal with it uh, right on the spot, whereas your expert player has walked through the, well, this is what I'm going to do if the CAT scan's positive, as well as this is what I'm going to do if the CAT scan's negative. Yeah, so we talk about constructing the algorithm, and you're right. It has to do with how I'm going to interpret this test, how much it's going to move me, but it's also the resuscitation stuff, right? It's the, it's the reason 
the intern might be surprised that you called for the airway kit so soon or asked for blood so early in the game is just they didn't see that far ahead. Uh, you saw it coming. So maybe preparation is what makes a better emergency physician? I think 100%. And I think that uh, to a earlier trainee, preparation looks like crystal ball predicting, uh, seeing into the future like a chess master. I think that's good, and I think that's why chess is a pretty good analogy for emergency medicine. I think it's interesting that, that you start out by saying, you know, chess players are smart. But chess players are not going to be the amazing diagnostician that pulls out uh, a zebra. Uh, that's not chess, necessarily. Well, so there are no zebras in chess, right? Chess is a finite system. It has rules. Everything is uh, predictable to some extent. And that's not most of the rest of life. Unknown unknowns. So... Being called a chess player, probably a good thing. Uh, I like the quotes. That's perfect. Hello and welcome. Uh, we are incredibly blessed today to have two people come to join us on our podcast. Jennifer Larson and Michael Quinn will be joining us. They are residents with us. Today we want to talk about using e-learning during the shift. So e-learning, we uh, talked about how it can expand your breadth of knowledge. Uh, it can be used as a reference. When are we looking at online resources during a shift? Jen, what do you use? So I like to use UpToDate as my go-to online resource. It doesn't necessarily have everything narrowed down to exactly what we want in emergency medicine. I personally believe that it provides the information that I need. There can be a lot of information on UpToDate, and it's hard sometimes to tell what exactly is the most evidence-based thing to do. So I usually will go into the reference section and take a look at what papers they're using as their resources, see how up-to-date they truly are, and take a look at the evidence that way. It is really simple on, on up-to-date to just click the article and you get a paragraph describing that whole article. I don't usually need to go to the next step and pull up the full text version, but it does allow you to do that. And I love that. And I would say that the nice thing about up-to-date is it's fast. It's available at most hospitals. And you can just read the section that interests you. So you don't need the long-term care section. You can stick to the treatment section. But I would say that you're looking at the article piece is my number one pet peeve about all e-learning. We seem to have this idea that if it's written on the internet, it is truth. And no matter how many things you read on the internet that are obviously bullshit, uh, you still have, can't get out of that idea. Uh, we did have a up-to-date uh, representative, uh, someone who worked there, come and give a talk. Uh, and it was interesting. He talked about how the mission of up-to-date was to give a concise answer. If you didn't want a quick answer, you wouldn't be looking here. So it was not the place for a, a, the giant nuanced discussion. They did have an expert panel. They did have these references. They actually, if you go to the bottom, have a grade uh, level of weakness or strength. But his thing was when it's really close, up to date felt they should come down on one side, give you a no or a yes, even if it was a weak no or a yes. But, but up to date is pretty popular. Quinn, you said that uh, everybody's up to date, but you don't. What do you use? Yeah, so like what Jen was saying is that UpToDate is not made for EM docs. I find that it's hard to have a clinical question down in the ED and find a good answer for what I'm looking for on UpToDate. So I found that I'm going on to EM docs a lot, which is, you know, anecdotal evidence made from... Wait, the Facebook EM docs? No, it's an actual website EM docs, not the Facebook group. 
So I found that it's because it's by EM Docs for EM Docs. It has a lot more information for what I'm looking for on how to answer that clinical question. And I know there, there's other uh, open source resources, uh, such as like Wiki EM. But obviously, with open source resources like that, where anyone can edit it, and information is added all the time, you have to be a little more judicious, a little more cautious. So how do you how do you deal with that? How do you deal with it in a, from a cautiousness level when you when the evidence is uh, doesn't have the reference connected to it every time? So you use your own fundamental knowledge of the topic and the question you're asking in the first place, and also you cross reference them as well, and you compare the two and see if they come to an agreement. So one of the good things about this stuff is the crowdsourcing gets you a lot of maybe different opinions. And, of course, the bad thing is it's a lot of different opinions, some of which might be batshit crazy, and how do you vet them all? But I like that they are EM-based. So at least you know that these are undifferentiated patients that you can try to apply to our emergency medicine decision-making process. So pick what, as educators, or you guys, what, what have you seen work well in terms of e-source utilization. So if it's something like a procedure that I'm about to do that I'm not too familiar with or haven't done in a long time and just need to brush up, uh, YouTube and just Google are just obvious options uh, for you just to you know kind of brush up on different techniques on how to do procedures. Or if it's an EKG uh, finding as well, you can just do Google Images, something as easy as that. I am unsure how we ever practiced before Google Images. You, you're not unsure. You're, it's just frightening. It is remember. frightening yeah. how badly I practiced before Google Images. Yeah, that's a rash. <laughs> okay, so that's another good one. We have uh, uh, something that we use for rashes. Yeah, so we use Visual DX for rashes. Our, I guess our health system has a subscription to it where you can just type in what the rash looks like and it'll bring up a bunch of pictures that are similar to the description that you put in and we've made a lot of diagnoses that way and it's a great way to also review rashes with your team with yourself with your students i i love visual DX. so visual things in general like this is what this ekg looks like this i look up arvd like once a week uh, or rashes especially i feel like visual dx also makes you better at describing it on the phone to a consultant because if you type in the thing you think it is, and the pictures don't look anything like that, right? then maybe it's not a crusty rash after all. Well, I agree with that. I actually think that you can't say, I think I have a brigada. You are going to do much better than to describe it to which type of brigada you think it oh, is. Oh, God. Don't, let's not go there. So, so, okay, so visual things, definitely. Procedural things, definitely. When it's not an answer a specific question uh, kind of problem, is there something that uh, you're going to look up at home to kind of, again, ex expand your breadth of knowledge beyond uh, that patient I saw in the ER? EMCRIT is a great option, at least personally for me, as far as answering those nuanced questions. If I have an alcohol withdrawal patient, am I going to reach for phenobarb or am I reaching for benzos? Okay, so blog like posts, uh, expert written, somebody reviewed. So I love listening to our general EM podcasts. There's many out there, including this one, where you can get case information and background information. I really like the New England Journal of Medicine resident section, which has not only cases, but also specific topics in body systems or chief complaints. It's not also completely emergency medicine based, but there is a section of emergency medicine on there as well. Okay, so some, these are trusted resources, uh, and, and, but they're still uh, single people, right? So now we have probably better to look things up from multiple sources. So I, I think that any of this stuff that is case-based, again, brings you back to emergency medicine is experiential. So 
if your experience can expand to a well-described case, honestly, your imagination uh, helps you take it the rest of the way and you just remember it better. Uh, a fact read in a book is very different than some facts associated with a case. So maybe the thing that as educators we should be doing is linking those two things more explicitly. Go look this up and then walk in that room. That is what the woody extremity of necrotizing fasciitis feels like. And then you won't forget it. That's what they're talking about. That is what the smell of that intoxicant is. This, this is what C. diff smells like. And, and I hope you never have to smell it, but <laughs> wow. All right. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Okay, so we talked a lot about e-learning. Uh, what things are we going to try today? All right. Jen, what are you going to try today? So today I'm going to try if one of my students or co-residents quotes a secondary source like a blog or, or one of those other websites, I'm going to ask them the primary source behind that quote. So if they say, oh, I'm going to give aspirin to this patient, I want to know which paper provided the evidence to that Such a great statement. learning technique because by going back to the primary source, even if the primary source says exactly what they say, it shows them how to do it. And if it, if it gives a slightly different nuanced view of it, then you learn a ton about it. Great. Michael, what are you going to do today? So today I'm just going to pull up a classic EKG or a classic chest x-ray finding uh, to the whole team and ask them what it is. And then if, you know, they're going to talk about it for a bit and, you know, we're going to talk about why this is classic Brugada. Uh, so it's just brute memorization or just brute uh, repetition of recognizing that pattern. So I, I love that. It's quick. It's easy. There's always this, oh, there's not enough time to learn thing going on. And you can do stuff like that and come away with a nugget of information quickly and easily. Awesome. What are you going to do? I'm going to make people uh, who are uh, having all sorts of different sources uh, show me another source. Don't be a man of one book. Find me another thing that agrees with what you want to do. So don't just take the up-to-date answer, find another answer. You show me another place that agrees with up-to-date uh, with two experts that want to do what you want to do. Great. I think what I'm going to do is pick one case that a resident has run with me, and after the shift, send them the case from Rebel EM or Alien or a different source so that it, it backs up the knowledge that they have with a credible source. That's great. That's the source. That's the space repetition. Uh, and that's the uh, uh, cementing it in their brain. I like it. Great. Thanks for listening. Go out there and make better doctors. Get out there and make doctors better. Get